All right, let's look in that little book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. I know that's one you read through in your devotions this morning. You were all excited about it. Habakkuk, it's right after the little book of Nahum, so it would be easy to find. Amen. <laughs> I'll give you a minute to find that. And uh, you look, it's just before Zephaniah. So <laughs> uh, it'll be a good one there. I want to share a message just entitled, When God Shows Up. Amen. And uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 1 and read down to verse 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, unto Siganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. Uh, we're thankful for the grace of God, the mercy of God. It's been extended to us, and uh, Lord, that we can know that we're saved and that we're on the way to heaven. And uh, Lord, we have a great message of hope that we can share with others. I would pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts this morning. There may be someone here that's never been saved. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon their heart the need for uh, faith in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray they might respond to the invitation to come and receive you as their personal Savior. Uh, God, we certainly are mindful of the fact there are many believers here this morning. Uh, may we have a longing and desire for God to show up in our life, in our ministry. Uh, Lord, we need the presence of God and the power of God. Uh, so desperately do we need that, Lord. And so I pray that you'd hear our prayer this morning. I would ask you, Lord, to bless the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, Lord, speak to us, and we'll give you praise and glory for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is actually verse 3. Uh, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise when God shows up. Habakkuk is a very interesting book to study. The name Habakkuk means uh, to embrace. And uh, he saw literally his prophecy is dealing with the fact that he saw the impending doom that was coming upon Israel by the invasion of the Babylonians. And he writes to, to that end to warn Israel that they needed to get right with God and needed God to be in their presence and to bless them. And uh, well, he, he records three stages of experience uh, in his personal life. And certainly we can record it as experience in our own life. Uh, he, first of all, he's a prophet or a, a believer who is waiting in confusion in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, in verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. And many times it's very uh, confusing to us when we pray, when we ask God to do something or to move. We look at a world, we're living in a world that, that seems to be crumbling right before our eyes. And we cry out as Habakkuk did, and Lord, how long? Or why haven't you brought any wrath or any judgment yet, Lord? And so he's waiting for God to show up, but in a state of confusion. He's not only in a state of confusion, but he's watching with hope. 
he still has hope in his God. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the uh, tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And so he had hope, even though he is confused about the circumstances and situation in Israel, he still had hope to watch for his God. And certainly we're reminded of the fact that Jesus has promised to come again. And the more wicked and vile the world gets, that gives us hope that his coming is drawing near. And uh, we're rejoicing in the fact that one day we'll hear the trump of God sound and dead in Christ will be raised up first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up uh, together in the heavens. And so we are watching with hope, even though we may be waiting in confusion. And then in chapter 3 in verse 19, he's worshiping in faith. It says, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on the, my stringed instruments. And so he's rejoicing and worshiping God in faith, even though he may be confused and he's having to look to God for hope and dealing with everything that's around, surrounding him at that time. He's wanting God to show up. He's wanting God to do something. Uh, theme verse, if you were to find a theme verse for this book, would be in chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. That statement, the just by, shall live by faith, is mentioned three times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1 and 17, and Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, all repeat what Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. And if we're going to be able to get any sense of reason in dealing with and looking at this world that we live in, it's going to have to come through the reality that we have faith to believe God, that his promises are real and whatever he has promised us, and whatever he said he would do, he will do that. And so we, we live by faith. Habakkuk is uh, recording also a personal experience in that the book starts with a question, but it ends with an explanation. And that's amazing. People have all kinds of questions about life to, nowadays. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I was listening to radio on the way over early this morning, and, and uh, a preacher was on there talking about a teaching ministry and, and all this about reference to... Uh, um, church ministries and Sunday school and all these different types of things. But many times we forget a great open door of opportunity of teaching the word of God's on the internet. Uh, people are all over the internet, posting all kinds of things, asking all kinds of questions. And uh, we as believers ought to be ready and willing to answer the questions that they have. It may start with a question, but we ought to be able to end with an explanation of what God has said and what God is doing. The book opens in gloom, but it ends in glory. And uh, I'm thankful that it, uh, times may get tough and it may be difficult. And we might be confused about the world in which we live. But listen, it all ends in glory because we end up in the presence of God. Uh, he has promised to prepare a place for us. And if he is preparing a place for us, he's going to come and receive us unto himself 
that where he is, we may be also, and so it ends in glory. The end is not on this earth. The end is not what's going on in the world in which we live. The end is what's going to be happening in heaven. And so when God shows up, let's look at this, verse 2 of chapter 3 of Habakkuk, and see what he says about God showing up. Notice, first of all, he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. So first of all, he had an ear for God. He was willing, he was literally willing to listen to what God had to say. And when God shows up, it certainly gives us an opportunity to hear what God has to say on issues and matters in reference to the world in which we live. You know, Samuel would have the Lord come to him and speak to him in 1 Samuel chapter 3. In verse 6, it says, The Lord called yet again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, he said, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did yet not yet know that the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. It's amazing that the Lord comes to Samuel three times and calls out to him. But yet he did not have ears to hear what the Lord was saying. And Sam, he would be reminded to go back in verse 9 and says, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, and which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. And so God, when he shows up, uh, we need to have, be willing to listen to what he has to say. I believe God has a message for the believer today. I believe God has a message for the unsaved today. But if we're going to experience an anointing and touch and a move of God, we have to be willing to take time to listen to what is it that God is saying. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be willing to go through the word, read the word, meditate on the word so that God can speak to us through his word. But you got to be listening there are so many outside influences. I just, it's always interesting. I watch people as they're walking around, they got their ear things in, you know. And I mean, it's, they're in another world. They're zoned out. I, I tell you, if you let your kids have those things on, shame on you. You need to take them off. One thing is you don't know what they're listening to. Secondly, all they're doing is jamming loud noise in their ears that if you were on a job working somewhere, OSHA would shut it down because of the noise level. And they're going to be damaging their ears. But more so beyond that, God may want to say something to them. And he cannot say something to them if they're cluttering up their minds and their ears with other, other things. I see people walk around all the time. Everybody's connected with their, their uh, you know, uh, uh, phones, their cell phones, and everything else. We're looking at, listening to, paying attention to everything that the world has to say, everything that the world is communicating, but then we're not listening to God. What if God was to show up? What if God had something he wanted to say to you, but you were so cluttered listening to other things that you couldn't hear what God had to say? And so here Samuel comes to Eli confused 
about the message that was coming, confused about who it was that was calling him. And Eli said, you just need to go sit down and quietly wait. And when the Lord comes, say, thy servant heareth. And God wants us to be able to respond to him that, Lord, we are listening to what you have to say when you show up. And so they had an ear for God. So he's willing to listen. Notice he was also willing to draw near to God. And uh, when God shows up, he wants to draw near to us. And uh, we want to be able to draw near to him. And certainly in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 19, Moses would go and meet with the Lord when the children of Israel were hesitant to come in the presence of God. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 19, says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that this fear may be before your faces that you sin not. And Moses was, was uh, basically reproving the children of Israel because they were hesitant, they were fearful of going into the presence of God. And listen, God wants to draw near to us. He'll draw nigh to you if you'll draw nigh to him. God has a message for us. He wants us to hear. He wants us to enjoy his presence. And in uh, chapter Exodus 20, I mean, yeah, 20 and verse 21 says, And the people stood afar off. How far are you standing away from God? I mean, really, you have to answer that question for yourself. How far are you removed from the Lord? God wants to say something. He wants to be near and close to you. But the people withdraw from the Lord. And so the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the black, uh, the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And all oh, be able to experience the closeness and the nearness of God. Jesus said, All that come unto me I will no wise cast out. Uh, the only excuse that we have for not being close to God is ourselves. Uh, we're our worst enemies. We're the ones that withdraw away from the Lord. We're the ones that get connected with things that are corrupt. We're the one that denies the reality of the, what God's message is for us. And yet God wants to move in our lives. He want to be, wants to be present in our lives uh, and manifesting himself and revealing himself and teaching his people and empowering his people. But the people were far off from God. It's time to turn back to the Lord and let's get ready for God to show up in our personal life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And you're not going to have, find rest that is outside in the world. Uh, you're not going to find hope in a world that has no structure whatsoever of what hope is. Uh, you're not going to, listen, you're not going to get good advice from those that are corrupt and wicked in their thought process. It is God and God alone who has our best interests in mind. It is God and God alone who created us in His image, who saved us for His glory, and desires for us to enter into a relationship with Him enjoying the reality of the nearness of God. How, 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 how close do you feel that you are to God this morning? You know, how did how, you make out this past week in your walk with the Lord? 
How much time did you spend with God? And then compare that to how much time you spent doing your job, socializing with friends, surfing the internet, listening to music, and you go through the list, a resume of things that you do every day. You drew near, you drew near to them. Why is it we can't draw near to God when God's wanting to show up in our life? And Habakkuk desired for God to be present, and he acknowledges that God came from Teman, and the Holy One came from Mount Paran. And so he's willing to draw near to us if we'll draw near to him. And so when we have an ear for God, uh, we literally listen and we draw near, and then we'll be willing to respond. In Acts chapter 9, we know the Apostle Paul, who was Saul at that time, was going down the Damascus Road. And in, in Acts chapter 9, he meets with the Lord. And when he meets with the Lord, immediately God calls him and speaks to him about what he wanted him to do. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, and it says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go unto the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. A very interesting thing, the response of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was persecuting the church. He was imprisoning believers. He was executing those who had faith in Christ. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But when God showed up, when God showed up and, and Christ revealed himself to the Apostle Paul, the immediate response of Paul was that he was listening and he wanted to know what he had to do and drawing near to him and God gave him instruction and he obeyed the instruction that God gave. He was easily responded. And so when God shows up, there needs to be a response. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, I just know this, God's not willing that any should perish and he wants you to be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's today. God's offering an opportunity for you to be saved. You say, well, I am saved. I just feel like God's not very close. Today, you need to make a decision. Today, you need to say, Lord, will you show up? If you'll show up, I'll have an ear to listen to what you have to say. I'll have an ear that will enable me to respond to where you want me to be. And God, I'll have an ear that will draw near to you in true faith and in holiness. And so when God shows up, there is a communication, if you will, that has opened up. There's a dialogue. Everybody's worried about dialogue today. Well, why don't we have a dialogue with God, amen, and listen to what God has to say. So when God shows up, we will hear his voice. And uh, there is nothing like listening to the voice of God. I've never, never had God uh, speak to me in an audible voice. I remember years ago, uh, a fellow came up to Bible college. Dr. Malone testified about the fact this young boy came up to Bible college. And uh, he said, uh, uh, he told, asked him, he said, how did you know God called you to come up to Bible college, prepare for ministry? He said, well, I was plowing in the field. And I looked up in the sky in the middle of the night and there was a message that came across the sky. It said, go preach. And he said, so I left home and everything and came to prepare for ministry. And Dr. Malone said, after you told him, he said, after hearing you preach, I believe you read the message wrong. That the message said, keep on plowing. Amen. 
I don't, I've never heard an audible voice from God, but I'm going to tell you one thing, the still small voice of God when you're reading the word of God and meditating on the word and praying and prayer, uh, pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God shows up. And I mean, when God shows up, things change in the people's lives and God manifests himself. And it's like he speaks loud and clear to us. You know, I've fasted and prayed at different times and just, it's amazing during the time of fasting, when you read the Bible, it's like verses are jumping off the page. It's got, you're so in tune, you're so ready to hear what God has to say that, listen, God shows up. In a miraculous way. And so and we'll have an ear for God when God works in our life, when God shows up in our life. We'll, we'll not allow the world to distract us. We'll be focused on God and listening to what he has to say. So he had an ear for God. I see another thing here in uh, verse 2. Uh, he, had, he had a fear of God. It says here, it says, um, I heard thy voice and was afraid. And so be, having a fear of God, it means to have a holy reverence. Fear does not mean that you're a, a scared of God, but rather it means you reverence God in a way that you're concerned about who he is and what his expectation is of you. And because of that, you're willing to respond completely to all that Christ is. Here's a couple of quotes I thought was good. Philip Jones said this on revival. He said, revival may be defined as that situation that brings the glory of God back in the churches. Revival is a time of renewed spiritual health brought about by the touch of God. Uh, one of the great things that I think is needed in the church in America in 2019 is we need a touch from God again. I mean, we need a revival again. I mean, we need a turning back to God that we experience the fact that God shows up in our church services. It's all right if God wants to disrupt things. It's all right if God wants to change these things. It's all right if God touches your heart and bring conviction. And it's all right to weep before God and allow God to change your life. That's what revival does. That's what happens when God shows up. There's a holy reverence and a fear of God. Uh, uh, Richard uh, Roberts, in his book on revival, said this, There is a very precious sense in which revival is literally God in the midst of his people. And it is when God shows up, I'll tell you, it brings a spirit upon us that once again, our faith is renewed, our joy is energized, we start thinking like we used to when we first got saved, we start getting excited about the way we used to when we first got saved, we start changing things in our lives like we used to when we first got saved, because the joy of the Lord is upon us because his presence is with us. He shows up and he moves in the hearts of people and will never be the same. I'm going to tell you, you can't experience God and walk away without being changed. You can't. Because God comes in and he changes everything. R.A. Torrey said this, A revival is a time when God visits his people. And by the power of his spirit imparts new life to them. And through them imparts life to sinners dead in trespasses and sins. 
New life from God. That's revival. And how God needs to change us and stir us. How God needs to fill us with the reality of who he is. How, how we need to be excited in church. I don't, I don't mean being drudged, drugged to church. I don't mean getting up and saying, oh, I got to go to church because if I don't go to church, a preacher's going to come and visit me. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about going to church. You young people, I'm talking to you too. It's not about you coming to church because your parents make you come to church. It's you're coming to church because you're happy to be in church. You're excited about God. And God is doing so. God can do something in teenagers' hearts. God can do something in elementary kids' hearts. God can do, you know, many missionaries felt God calling them to preach or go on the mission field when they were in the elementary grades. I don't know why we've got this mindset that God can't move in the heart of children, and certainly God can't move in the church in America anymore, but yet God desires to do something, and when we have an encounter with God, our reverence for God, our fear for God will be elevated. He said, I was fearful, I was afraid uh, when you showed up. What does it do? A couple of things. If God is present in your life, a fear of God will enable you to bar false gods. In Joshua chapter 24, we know these verses in chapter 24 and verse 14, uh, Joshua tells the children of Israel, now therefore fear the Lord. Habakkuk said, wait a minute. When you were there, I heard, had ears to listen to you. I heard what you said. But when I encountered you, I feared. I was afraid. Fear came upon me. And Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And here it is. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. There's some things you got to put out. There's some things you got to get rid of. Those things that are in your life that literally has consumed your thought process and robbed you of the joy of being in the presence of God has become your false gods. And they got to go out. They got to be put out. They got to be done away with. Why? In verse 15 he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, it's a good question. It would be a good message to, to preach on. Is it evil to serve God? That's what he's saying. If it seems to you evil to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Notice no matter where they're at, there's always false gods. When they were on the other side of the Jordan River, there was false gods. When they were on the other side of the Red Sea in Egypt, there were false gods. In the, in the country where they're at, in the land of Canaan, there's false gods. It does not matter where you go or what you encounter in your life. There are always false gods that grab your attention and draw you away from the Lord. says, in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, that's a decision the individual has to make. I can't make that for you. I can make it for myself, but I can't make it for you. Young people, your parents can't make that decision for you. 
You have to make that decision. Are, are you going to get rid of false gods in your life and embrace the living God? See, a fear and a reverence of God will enable you to get rid of the false gods and to embrace the true God. So it bars false gods. It brings obedience in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, obedience to God. See, if we have a fear or a reverence of God, we have no problem in obeying what God has said. In 1 Samuel 12 and uh, verse 14, tells us, and if you will fear the Lord and serve him. There it is. It's interesting that you see fear and service together all the time. If you fear the Lord, you'll serve the Lord. It's always connected together. When there's a reverence for God, there is a response to God in service. He says, if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. So we often take a look at our leaders and, uh, uh, in Washington and expect them to bring spirituality, but the, the bottom line is every individual needs to be spiritual and fear the Lord. And if the people are serving God, the people are going after God, the people are committed to the Lord, it automatically makes a difference in the leadership. And the answer, the answer to the political problems in America is cut and dry. Get people saved. If you get people saved and get them obeying what God has said, it will change the outcome of all that we are as a country and a nation. But there has to be fear that brings obedience. And when we don't fear God, you know why people live a life that's contrary to the Bible is because of the fact there is no fear. There is no reverence of God. I will be my own person. I will live my life as I please. And how dare you expect me to do anything else? Well, uh, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I'm going to tell you, we've been sowing a lot of corruption over the years. A lot of corruption over the years, and now it is harvest time. It's reaping time. And our society is out of control. We are falling into anarchy because we are simply reaping what we have sowed. It is time for God to show up. It is for time for God to show up in our personal lives that we might be able to fear the Lord that we might be able to obey what he has to say. But it also builds confidence. This matter of the fear of the Lord. In Psalm 27, you can turn over, I'm going to look at several Psalms here, just read a couple verses. But in Psalm 27, 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? You know, Paul said, If God be for us, who can stand against us? We don't have to fear the world. We need to fear God. And we need to obey him. In uh, Psalm 33, in uh, verse 8, Psalm 33 and 8, says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You know, it's interesting people 
uh, today have this mindset, well, you need to just have, let every, everybody's religion's valid. You need to let everybody worship as they choose and how they feel. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear, let all the earth fear the Lord. It doesn't say, well, let some of the earth, or maybe some people just kind of have their own religion. You know, just some people just only, or they're atheists. They don't believe in God. That's okay. Let them live however they want to live. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that every individual on the whole earth is to fear the living God. Psalm 115 and verse 11 says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. See, when you have a reverence for God and a fear for God, you understand where your security lies. You understand where your protection is, and that's in the God of heaven. Verse 13 says, He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. And so when we have a fear of God, it instills in us a reverence for God. And so when God shows up, we'll have fear or reverence towards the Lord. Now, you don't get that if God's not present. If you're living your life apart from God, you can't develop a confidence of fear and reverence to God because you're not listening to what God has to say. So Habakkuk had an ear for God. He had a fear of God. He had a longing for the move of God. Notice in verse 2, he says, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And so he had a, a desire for God to move, for God to do something. A good question for us to answer uh, of ourselves. Uh, what do you want God to do in your life? I think it's a valid question. What do you, what do you think your life ought to be as a Christian? Not based on man's philosophy, well, based on what God has said. What, what, what is the reality of what you think you should be? Do you think God ought to be moving? you think God ought to be doing something in the church? Do you think God ought to be changing people's hearts? Or do we just kind of fit God into our little bottle or box that we have and say, okay, God, you can be everything you are in there, but just don't come out here and bother us out here. See, Habakkuk longed for God to show up. He wanted God to move. Oh, um, Richard Roberts in his book on revival said this. And it's a little lengthy to go on to two slides, but it says this. No task uh, pre uh, preparatory to revival is more necessary or urgent than the task of learning to distinguish between the work of God and the souls of men and the counterwork of Satan. One simple observation can help. What God does, he does for man's good. What Satan does, he does for his own good, Satan's work. We can expect him to do anything in his power to keep the eyes of man off of Christ. That's a reality. The devil doesn't want you to be on fire for God. The, de the devil doesn't want God to move in your life. The devil certainly doesn't want to acknowledge and praise the Lord. Uh, he wants to do whatever he can to literally tear your life apart and despise the living God. 
and we need to have wisdom and we need to have discernment. And so, first of all, there's necessary interaction, a necessary interaction. And you, you have to determine that you're going to be spiritual. And Psalm 85 and 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? I think the sadness, the grumpiness, the discontent among Christians is because we just need a revival. We need God to stir us once again and move in our lives. Uh, we, there must be an interaction. Uh, Ezra, chapter 9, Ezra would cry out to God to send revival on the people of Israel because they needed something to happen because of the presence of the Lord. And so there is interaction that needs to take place. In other words, we need to be pursuing God. We need to receive all that God has for us. We need to reach out to the lost. We need to tell them who Christ is. There's got to be interaction within the body of Christ. This, this lone star type of attitude of living your Christian life that you don't need anybody else is foreign to what the scriptures show. Uh, we are dependent on one another. The church in the Acts, in the early book of Acts, had all things common. They were dependent upon each other. There was interaction between them. And so there was a longing for a move of God. There's necessary interaction. But there's also necessary intercession. You know, in Luke 22, Jesus told Peter, he says, Peter, uh, that he said this, that Satan has desired to sift you a wheat. And the Greek word there, sift you as wheat, literally means to grind up, to completely destroy. But the amazing thing is this, he said, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's intercession. Christ, according to Hebrews 7 and 25, Christ is ever at the throne of God interceding on our behalf. It is necessary that there is a move of God in reference to how we interact with one another, how we interact with God, because the reality is Christ is interceding for us and we must intercede for each other in prayer. And then there's the inter, uh, necessary introspection. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I need to be honest about my relationship with Christ. I need to be honest about my walk with God. And uh, so when, when there is a move of God, when you're longing for a move of God, when God shows up, we will long for a greater move of God in our life. And uh, we're doing the men's and women's prayer conferences here this year. And it is for the express reason for we as a church congregation to experience a move of God. That's every one of us. It's not designed for a few to be here. It's designed for every one of us to be here. Every one of us to sense the presence of God and long for a move of God in our life. Every one of us. And the, and the less that are pursuing and longing for a move of God, the less of a move of God will be experienced. And so I really believe with all my heart that when God shows up, it's going to change our desires and longings. Well, he needed the mercy of God. In verse 2, he says, and in wrath, remember mercy. And uh, how desperately we need the mercy of God uh, moving upon us. We, if we got what God, what we deserve from God, uh, we'd all be in trouble. We'd all be burning in hell today. 
but God in his mercy extended his grace so that we might not have to face that. So mercy multiplied in Psalm 5 and 7 says, but as for me, I will come unto thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in the fear and in thy fear will I worship towards thy holy temple. Multiplied mercy. How we desperately need more mercy every day. We need the mercy of God uh, to be able to help us to overcome the temptations that are in this world. Not only mercy multiplied, but mercy magnified. In Psalm 13 and verse 5 says, But I have trusted in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And the trust that he put in the mercy of God has stirred his heart with the joy of his salvation. In uh, Psalm 25 in verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for the good, thy goodness sake, O Lord. And so the psalmist cried out, don't, don't remember my past, don't remember what I was, but look on me and who I am in Christ Jesus. And I'm thankful that the mercy of God does not bring up our past. I'm thankful that the mercy of God does not reveal our sins of the past. I'm thankful that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm thankful that the magnification of the mercy of God is I don't have to be a constant victim. I don't have to be constantly defeated. I do not have to worry about being destroyed because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's because of the mercy of God. When God shows up, mercy is magnified then mercy is satisfied in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 in verse 14. Psalm 90, if I can get over there real quick, I'll read it for you. Psalm 90 in verse 14 um, says, "Return, O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days. See, when you experience the mercy of God and you understand the work of the mercy of God, and your life, it gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Psalm 94, in verse 18, it says, When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. You know, when you say, well, you know, I just don't think I can go on. It is God who picks you up. You say, I just don't think I can accomplish it. It is God who is your strength, and it is God who gives you deliverance. And so when God shows up, we experience the mercy of God. And I'm thankful for the mercy of God this morning. So no wonder Habakkuk, seeing the condition of Israel, knowing that judgment was coming upon Israel, aware of the suffering that Israel is going to have to go through, he's confused by why they're running from God, why they won't turn back to God. And as he cries out to God, he says, oh, wait a minute, we need you to show up because when you came... When God showed up, the glory of God covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praises. And so when God shows up, it will change everything in your life. It will, he will change everything in the church. He will change everything in the world that we live in. Why? Because it's just his fear, his mercy, his moving, 
uh, his blessing in our life. Everything is focused on Christ and Christ alone. And when we experience that, it is no more guided and directed by sinful man. It is guided and directed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God shows up, I'm asking the Lord to show up. I'm asking the Lord to do something miraculous. I'm asking God to shake us up. I am. I'm asking God to do something that is unusual. For God to do something that will be miraculous where nobody can take glory for it, nobody can boast in it, and we'll all have to say, wow, God did that. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for God to show up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I know you're in the midst. I understand Jesus promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. We understand these great truths, but the reality is how we block God out so many times. How many times you want to move and bless in the church and uh, there's no one that will respond? How many times you want to save a person's soul, give them eternal life, and yet, Lord, they'll turn the reality of the word of God off and they'll reject the grace and the mercy of God that's being extended to them. Lord, we want to do that. We want to be able to experience your presence in a way that brings conviction, a way that stirs fear, and a way that moves us uh, in, in the direction that is drawing closer to God day by day. Lord, we desire and we long, we really do, Lord, long for a spirit of revival to rest upon us. And so, Lord, will you speak to our hearts? Will you work your will? There may be someone here today that needs to be saved. Touch them, Lord. Uh, uh, release them from the bondage of their sin, that they might be saved. I pray for every believer that we might be crying out to God as Habakkuk did, longing for God to show up in their life. And so, bless in this invitation. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.